This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on Zoomer Radio. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Weekend Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. It's a huge problem for families. How to make sure that elder loved ones take their medications. We'll talk to a man with a new invention to make monitoring easy. And... He was saved and raised by those many of his people consider to be their enemies. Muhi, generally temporary, is the story of a Palestinian boy with a life-threatening illness who has lived in an Israeli hospital since he was a baby. We'll talk to the director of this Hot Docs feature. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Sad news about James Acker, a man whose story we told you here on the Zoomer Week in Review. James was viciously attacked by another resident in his Dundas nursing home back in February, and he was left severely injured and unable to go home. He passed away last weekend at the age of 86. Ministry of Health and long-term care officials found St. Joseph's Villa was in violation of a number of rules but did not impose any changes. James' daughter, Tammy Carbino, says she is completely heartbroken by the outcome of this tragic event. We hope Tammy and her family are comforted, knowing they are helping others by shedding light on this horrific incident. Last week, Emma Morano passed away at the age of 117, making Jamaica's Violet Moss Brown the oldest person on Earth. She's also 117. Brown was born March 10, 1900, which is 67 years before Jamaica was founded. She's been a music teacher and church organist for over 80 years. After her husband's death in 1997, she took over his responsibilities and became a record keeper for the local cemetery, a job she continued until well after her 100th birthday. Here's another finding on the benefits of exercise as we age. A study published in the Journal of Cell Metabolism says that high-interval-type training can reverse many degenerative problems associated with getting older. Those who were 65 and up who engaged in high-intensity workouts saw a 69% increase in mitochondria function, which provides energy to the body. Researchers say the study suggests that quick workouts at a high intensity are more beneficial than long bouts that don't challenge us physically. 73-year-old actor and model Lauren Hutton is in front of the camera again, this time in a campaign for Calvin Klein underwear. Hutton appears wearing an open blouse over a bra and relates a lighthearted tale about quickly walking across a courtyard to avoid advances from men. A Calvin Klein spokesman says Hutton was handpicked for the campaign by director Sofia Coppola, who is in charge of the promotion. 
And Grammy-winning guitarist and singer Glenn Campbell is releasing his final studio album, recorded shortly after his Alzheimer's disease diagnosis in 2011. You're the last place I will recall And best of all I'm not gonna miss you The record label announced the album, Adios, will be released on June 9th. The 80-year-old Campbell hasn't performed since 2012 and is in a long-term care facility. But his wife, Kim Campbell, said in a statement that he felt a sense of urgency after his diagnosis to record one last time. Campbell's hits include Gentle on My Mind, Wichita Lineman, Galveston, and his signature song, Rhinestone Cowboy. I'm Libby Snymer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. It's a huge problem, especially for older Zoomers. Less than half of all prescriptions are taken as directed. The result is illness and hospital and nursing home admissions that could have been avoided. Victor Lessow had that problem with his grandmother, who was on multiple medications like many seniors. After a year of research and development, he came up with a solution. It's a simple technology that lets families remotely track whether loved ones have taken their pills. I reached him on the road in Seattle. I have experience in my family with grandmother not taking medications or taking a lot of medications, and um, I know it is very confusing. And in addition to this fact, it is also we understand that it's really important to take everything that's prescribed for the medications to take the full effect. So after having a few situations where there was emergency room and, and doctor's visits, uh, because of either forgetting to take medications for multiple days or uh, overdosing, it, it became apparent that there is a need for for some additional help. And we as a family wanted to step in and uh, started thinking about how, how this can be done. What was your starting point for figuring out how to do it? So first, I went online, searched everything possible, what exists out there in order to help the family member. Uh, however, it became apparent that a lot of the solutions on anything that I found was too complex for just too much tech for the grandma to use. So then basically having an engineering background myself and having talked to a couple of friends who are in this, we decided that things could be done much simpler, much better. And for some reason, there was nothing else in the market that can be done in, in that simple way that it, it's almost seamless for the end user. Okay. And what did you want to accomplish with this? So my grandmother is using Blist Attack for many, many years, and uh, she's used to it. It's a nice way to organize medications. The Blist Attack is that calendar format where you have seven days a week, four times per day. Maybe because it's so nice and convenient to organize medications, and yet it was still not helping in all the situations. And I thought that that's a great type of packaging. Why does not any solution exist out there that makes it this packaging slightly smarter so the packaging reminds back the person to take the pills on time. There's some kind of smart alarm associated with that. In this line, we started thinking with my friend and co-founder, Ivan, on how to make this technology seamless. So the idea was to remind your grandma to take her medication, but also how did you want to tackle the problem of knowing if she didn't? Yes, one piece is that the pack itself knows exactly when medications are taken out and when they're not. So it knows the schedule and it can remind the person itself but also it is connected to the internet so that 
the uh, family members, care professionals, doctors, whoever needs to know, they can receive um, daily updates, weekly updates, and SMS notifications on their phone, mobile devices, uh, in real time so that they can follow up and prevent any emergency from happening. So how did you solve this problem on a blister pack? So what we've done is we started working with pharmacies and uh, we developed this technology which has smart film or smart label that is attached to the already existing packaging, uh, which basically allows us to detect these events when the pill is extracted from the pack. And also there is a little alarm component with a connection to the internet that we also developed. So basically pharmacist now attaches this uh, smart label to the existing pack and a little sensor uh, which connects the pack to the internet and gives it to the patient. So, and after this, once the pack is brought home, sensor alarm beeps to remind the patients to take pills on time. And because of connectivity, family members get all the updates from the cell phone network. So there is no Wi-Fi to set up. There are no complex configurations. It's out of the box. The patient does not have a smartphone or anything like this configured. Just the blister pack as before, and that's it. So if you involve family member, you can be receiving daily updates and replying right away, calling back to the to the loved one. And if you're really busy, have a busy schedule, then when you have time, you can review on our mobile application on the phone. You can review the times when the person struggles. You know, there'll be like red highlighted times of the day when the pills were taken late or, or completely missed. So then you can basically review the weekly statistics and, and then do something about it. Talk to the pharmacist, talk to the family member, how to help them uh, with their medications. Okay. And that was the whole idea. How can we help as a family? I'd like to encourage everyone to think whether the family members experience difficulty with their medications. Ask themselves the question, can I help my loved one? And a lot of people struggle with it without letting anyone else know. And that's what we found through our studies. But you definitely can help. Okay. Victor Lesso, thanks very much. Thanks a lot. This technology is available through select pharmacies in Ontario, B.C., and Nova Scotia. You can get more information at info at qpath.io. I'm Libby Zneimer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. Coming up, the story of a remarkable Palestinian boy who is being raised in an Israeli hospital. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. It's a story that raises questions of identity, family, and reconciliation. As a baby, Mohi, that's short for Muhammad, is rushed to a hospital in Israel from his home in Gaza. But he is unable to return home because there is no treatment for his rare condition there. He ends up living in the hospital with his grandfather and a team of Israeli volunteers who serve as a surrogate family. The film's director, Rina Castelnovo, is an award-winning New York Times news photographer. I chatted with her ahead of the film's Canadian premiere. Muhi was born in Hanunes, Gaza. It's a Shanti refugee town in the Gaza Strip with a genetic condition that threatened his life. And he was transferred for emergency treatment into an Israeli hospital. And he was a candidate for a bone marrow transplant, but they couldn't find any donor. 
So they started treating him in the hospital and he caught a flesh-eating bacteria. And to save his life, doctors had to amputate his four limbs and parts of his intestines. So Muhi has been in that hospital for seven years. He cannot return to his family in Gaza because there is no treatment for his condition in Gaza. The uh, healthcare system in Gaza is on the verge of collapse, and he must stay in Israel for the care that keeps him alive. What made you decide to do a film on him? After years of being a photojournalist and covering war and conflict in my area, I felt like I need to look beyond of what I'm covering daily, all the hostilities and clashes. The other thing in that hospital was that it is a rare a meeting ground for Israelis and Palestinians when cross-border relations are, are hardly existing. And there, in the wards and the rooms, there are some extraordinary relations being formed uh, between both people. And uh, because when people meet and they see how much they have in common, they can be enemies. I've never heard of a story of somebody who basically lives and grows up in a hospital, and uh, the Israeli health care system covers all of that? Yes. Um, the Palestinian Authority initially covered the, the, the hospitalization, but after the amputations, they stopped, and the hospital absorbs the cost. They, they feel that if they send the boy to Gaza, he will die, and the only family member by his side is his grandfather because his mother has seven other children at home and uh, other reasons why she can't come over. So he's looked after by his grandfather and a team of Israeli volunteers that calling themselves Mohi Task Force that are filling the void for the absence of a family. His grandfather is with him all the time. It's not that easy for his grandfather to be there, is it? Right. Abu Naim is his grandfather. He's about 65. And until a year ago, both were confined to the hospital grounds because of security regulations. Palestinian patients from Gaza or West Bank, when they are in Israeli hospitals, they are not allowed to leave the hospital grounds. But then a year ago, Buma, the Israeli friend of Abu Naim, he managed to obtain a one-year permit which allows Abu Naim also to work. So the hospital is employing Abu Naim as a janitor and he sends all his salary to his family in Gaza. The film raises all kinds of questions, um, not least of which are questions of identity, because the the whole film takes place in this kind of melange of Hebrew and Arabic. Does he see himself as an Israeli or as an Arab? Um, Does it matter? I don't think it matters. It mattered for the child. When he was growing up, he, he thought he was Russian because most of the medical staff, the nurses, uh, are coming from Russia, Russian immigrants. They speak between them in Russian. So when you ask Muhi, where are you from? He would say, I am Russian. And slowly he started feeling very much at ease with both uh, Jews and Arabs. So he basically grew, grew up with both ideas identities and he just moves from one identity to the next. The film follows Muhi but it also follows 
the family that is left behind in Gaza, and we would stop on one side of the border, on the Israeli side, and the Gaza local crew would pick up on the other side of the border and follow Abu Naim into Gaza. Because you, you can't get permission to film there? No, I'm, I'm Israeli, and uh, I haven't been to Gaza since 2006 when Hamas uh, won the elections in Gaza and took over. We hear stories every now and again about either Syrians or Arabs being treated in Israeli hospitals, and this changes people's attitudes. I think the Israeli hospitals are the last bridge for peace that is left. It's like the last oasis where Israelis and Palestinians can meet as equal. And uh, when people return to Gaza, they will never think the same about Israelis they did when they arrived, because people have to meet. And what happens today that the new generation in Gaza and in Israel, they don't know each other, and there is prejudice and animosity and hate. And the hospital is this rare venue when all this falls apart. What do you hope people take away from the film? Films like this just unite. And there are so many things that are divisive and so many things that are dividing the people that it's important to show there are still things that are uniting them. Rina, congratulations. Thank you very much, and we look forward to the screenings of the film at Hot Docs. Thank you very much. Muhi, generally temporary, will be screened at Hot Docs on Saturday, April 29th at 6, and Monday, May the 1st at 1 p.m. I'm Libby Snymer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. When we return, we'll talk about an artist who would have been celebrating a birthday this weekend, Roy Orbison, in just a moment. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Welcome back to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. It's time for your international arts date book. Tips for those of you who are jetting around the world. Here's Bob Comsick. We begin in London, where the latest West End production of 42nd Street is getting rave reviews. The show has also received a royal endorsement. Kate, the Duchess of Cambridge, took in opening night at Drury Lane and loved it. The 35th edition of Art Brussels is underway, featuring 144 galleries from 28 countries in three main sections. It runs all weekend. The top theater tickets on Broadway are being snapped up by those with a sense of nostalgia. A revival of Hello, Dolly! starring Bette Midler is on stage at the Schubert Theatre. And for Australian fans of Vincent van Gogh, an exclusive exhibition featuring more than 60 of the artist's works has opened at the National Gallery of Victoria. I'm Bob Comsick with your International Arts Datebook. Roy Orbison, or as he was known, the Big O, would have been 81 today. Orbison was born in Vernon, Texas, April 23, 1936, and started playing in a rockabilly band in high school. He was signed to a record deal in 1956, but didn't hit it big until the 60s when he signed with Monument Records. On that label, he released hits like Only the Lonely, Crying, and Oh Pretty Woman, getting 22 of his songs onto the Billboard charts between 1960 and 1964. In the late 60s, 
His wife died in a tragic motorcycle accident, and his two eldest sons perished in a house fire. Perhaps as a result, his musical efforts in the 1970s were a pale comparison to his early work. In the 1980s, Orbison's career got back on track as he played with the supergroup, The Traveling Wilburys, and released his own new album, Mystery Girl, in 1988. Sadly, just as his career was revived, Orbison died of a heart attack on December 6, 1988, at the age of 52. Let's hear something from him now, a song from his early days, Oh Pretty Woman. That was Roy Orbison with Oh Pretty Woman. The big O would have been 81 today. And that brings us to the end of this week's edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Thanks for joining me today. Be sure to come back next week to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. You've been listening to the Zoomer Week in Review. Produced by MZ Media Limited. Executive producer, Moses Snymer. Produced by Dave Woodard, Paul Thomas, and Andre Lowy. This has been an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on Zoomer Radio. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.